Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and today we have a podcast that I have been waiting for for a long time, and I'm very, very excited about our guest today. Uh, I'm glad, Connor, that uh, you got to meet Frazier at the event, so he came up to our event in Coeur d'Alene, but Frazier is a very good friend of mine because... It's so crazy. Yeah, you got to tell the story. Like, yeah, like this is just it's wild. insane how all this works, dude. <laughs> because I was Frazier's, like, uh, young men's leader in our church we went to when Frazier was... How old were you, Frazier? I would have been... See, at that time, I would have been, like, 16. 16? I would have been 16. Yeah. yeah. 16, 17. Around yep. there. So, you 16, and... Uh, I was uh, his uh, leader, and we had a whole group of boys, and it, it was awesome. And Frazier was just always a delight, everything. And then years later, we're doing this storage thing. Frazier moved. I moved. And lo and behold, Frazier's on TikTok talking about storage, and he's blowing up. And he somehow we got cross what and he's like, AJ do you remember me? And I was like, Frazier. And it was over, what was it, over Instagram? Well, I got to interject on this because what it was is every now and then I'll go on TikTok, you know, because I'm huge on there. And I just search and see who else is doing self-storage. I see this guy, his name's AJ Osborne. I was like, I don't, I was like, AJ. I was like, I I was like, I know AJ. I remember (laughs) AJ. And so then I just, I read. I started, it was during ISS, actually. It was, I was right. at, we were both at that event, yes. and it was one of the nights. It was one of the nights there that I was doing this, and I was like, oh, dude. So I started messaging him on TikTok and Instagram and just blowing him up until he messaged <laughs> yes. me back. And, see if he was, and then I found out from somebody totally random, a different friend. He's like, hey, do you know this guy named AJ? I just listened to him speak. I was like, that's really funny. I've just been messaging him all night. <laughs> Um, and so you, you end up having to catch a plane, but we connected there again. So yeah, that was, that's what happened. Totally Finally connected crazy. Through Instagram. That's right. Small <laughs> world. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't, I not really on TikTok as much. I need to be, and you're convincing me to, you're showing me the way it you're cause you're just like <laughs> crushing. It's an understatement. Millions of views. It's absolutely wild. And, um, I love what you're doing on TikTok too, because you're showing so much of the in-depth, on-the-ground work that a lot of things. The way that you took content around self-storage is very different from everybody else, and very different from me, right? So I, I do very long-form content, like here on the podcast. I dive in, but it's more of I want to say the back end that I talk about 
And you did something totally different where you showed so much of that front end, like what you were doing every day. You showed, you know, here's, and it was in depth, like here's how I process a lean. Here's how I kick people out everything. And it's awesome. Um, and it, it just absolutely caught fire. But before we go into any of that, let's talk about uh, your, how did you get into self-storage? First of all, let's get into that and talk about your self-storage journey. Okay, well, real short with it, basically, um, I'm a real estate agent as well, found a property on the MLS, and I, I'd always been kind of um, gearing towards trying to help investors buy properties, whether it was multifamily, whatever. I started to dabble in storage with a client and dove into it more, found this property and thought, hey, this is good. Usually I'd send these properties off to my brother because he does hard money lending. Hey, you got anybody who wants to buy these? And then he messaged me back and he was like, hey, I'm actually interested. Him and I had a conversation further into it and we we decided to partner in on it together, buy it. And then within about nine months, we bought five storage facilities. And so we just hit it real hard in the beginning there and just kind of took off and, and loved it. Um, so that's kind awesome. of the short of how it got in. And now you were buying though, and you're doing everything. Like you really yeah. dove into it. So um, and I, and I love this. I lo- absolutely love this because, uh, you know, when we got started, there wasn't a lot of options, opportunities to have a lot of outside help. So we had to do lots of things just by ourselves, figuring it out. We were patchworking. There wasn't a third party management company that we could just hand it off. that would do everything for us, right? That didn't exist. So we were really intrinsically involved with the asset, right? And you dove straight into it and you did the same thing. You didn't hire out. You dove straight into the hands-on operations way more than even I did. And I think that is a huge leg up for you. And it, I think it really set you up to continue going down the success you're, you're, you're going on now. But talk about those first deals and first of all, how you bought them, but then jumping into them, what, what did you do? That was a, there are a lot of challenges, especially when you first get started, you're just trying to learn everything. And then you're also trying to learn for, in my, in my shoes, that was my first year of buying investment properties for myself. So I bought a duplex and I bought a storage facility at the same time. So I just started getting into the game of investing. So one, that was newer for me. I had helped other people do it and I knew how to price things appropriately. Um, but getting into myself to the first deal that we went and took on MLS, um, my brother brought up a lot of the money for down payment. I put in about 20,000 from commissions and stuff. Uh, so I was real smart, small on the money, um, but had equity and a big part of it was my sweat equity. Um, I was a smaller portion of equity on that facility in the beginning. Now I own the majority share of it. Um, but, um, and that comes from buying and all sorts of things we can go into later, but basically big part of it was. My brother didn't have time to manage. And so I was like, I'll take on the managing. Yeah. So I started learning all the managing. You know, we're coming to the first property and the guy, he's an older gentleman, built the property himself from the ground up on his same house property. And he ran everything by paper and pencil. I mean, he didn't have an electronic gate. Everything's paper and pencil. He's got a mailbox in between the properties that people can put payments. There's nothing updated about this facility whatsoever. Good condition. Um, drive up had 141 units or so uh gravel that sort of thing but it just didn't have any updated features so we were able to go in there update the management right away we knew we needed a you know technology so management software started diving into that started out with one management software 
hit it for three months and then quit it and went on to a different one that we use now and I've been using for a while. Um, so that was the first one there, just getting going, understanding, realizing when we looked at the market is that, that the rents were about 40% below the market. So we knew we could go in day one and raise rents, which is what we did. We raised rents probably a little higher than we should have. Um, but even with that, even though we lost a good chunk of percentage of occupancy, we were still making more money than his 96%, a 90, pretty much hundred percent occupied that he was making. You know, we, we could lose a lot. We knew we could lose by raising our rents. We knew we could lose about 60% occupancy and still be about where he was. Uh, so really good setup for us on that one. Now, um, this, now the next, we got to talk about this. To yeah, I, I want you to go on, but I yeah. want to hit on this because this is such an important topic, yeah. Fraser. And you're lucky that you caught on to that early on. Like you were really smart. And lucky is not the right word. You were you went about it extraordinarily intelligently. And you know, I remember like, I mean, this was geez, I. Every time I start talking about things that I remember, it gets farther away. <laughs> like I, I, I'm like, oh yeah, it was like five years ago. You're like, no. oh, I'm sorry, that was like twelve years ago. Uh, you know, I just, <laughs> don't right. like that part. But so, like a long time ago, I was speaking at ISS, and and they asked me to speak on a couple things because apparently it was a little controversial at the time, where people were like, well, that I was like, occupancy doesn't matter, right? That was one of my topics, and I said, occupancy doesn't matter, and there was. At the time, everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's the goal is right. And that was such a fallacy that so many people held. And it was killing them because of what you just said. You could lose occupancy, yet you could make more money. And now you have more products to sell. So then as the occupancy rises from there, as you bring in new customers, your, your revenue shoots straight up. And I think that's one of the reasons you've done so well and been successful is you started out thinking about the revenue, right? It's let's look at the revenue. How can we make more money? And what does that mean? And you also weren't afraid to try it. A lot of people are afraid to give what they may view as too big of increases, right? And even now you look at it and say, yeah, it may have been a little too big, but you went for it. You shot, you had to see the relationship between your occupancy and the market. And you had to test it out, which obviously, like you just said, even it was too much, it was the right thing to do. You still made more money. I, I just, I love that. That's such an important thing that you did right there. So, all right, keep going. No, I, I would say kind of tagging on to that point with the physical occupancy, I feel like, and this is kind of bold to say, but it's like everybody's second nature, even my own, to go, ah, occupancy is yeah. low, we need to get it up. And I think there's a balance to be had. First, revenue needs to be focused on. But second, there's a way to go, okay, hey, we're lower on occupancy, but that also needs to be going diving in further is people go, okay, cool, revenue here, but they don't dive in further to the unit side. Yes. Or the unit product because I really like I really like your terminology that you have been using ever since I've been talking to you uh, about using talking about them being products like mm-hmm. these are things that we're selling in a retail store almost it makes a lot more sense if you have that perspective yep. so so much clearer a way better way to look at it than what's talked about there in general um, but I, I but I think if people just um, if they look at that revenue and then they play the okay we're low on occupancy on these things you can drive things because you'll drive more. Uh, you know, revenue and whatnot, um, and then dive into the exact unit size. Anyways, I love it. Uh, a lot to go in there. Um, the next facility we took on, that one actually 
came from a referral. I helped a client buy a different storage facility. She referred a, a guy over to me um, and I was going to help him buy it. And it was in the same city. And we're like, hey, you want to just partner? We already have one here. We bought it months ago so we know there <laughs> and so we partnered with them on it he had found it on craigslist um and then and it was a real dumpy facility i mean that it was like four hundred thirty thousand dollars we bought it for but it was like 126 units spaces and uh units together um and so that was a killer deal we knew the market in that way um for instance they were renting 10 by 10s at $52 a month. And the market for that was like 120 bucks. So it was just, it was crazy what they were doing with it. So we went and put some money, fixed it up and then, you know, skyrocketed the rates again there and improved the facility overall. And plus we had the both the facilities working together now in that same city. Um, next one we, and that one was done on owner financing as well as hard money. Um, the third property that we bought, that was actually down in Oregon. Uh, that one we found on LoopNet. It just happened to be a really good deal. There's like 185 units. It was like at a, a nine cap um, that we bought it at. And, um, you know, that one and then another one came along from the same agent that was off market about four minutes away. It was like 112 units or something like that. So we bought both of those ones pretty much at the same time. Uh, ran them for a little while, ran them for about a year and a half or so. And we sold them for like a million bucks later for a year and a half without hardly doing anything, but improving the management on it. Uh, they were pretty full as it was. Um, and then the fifth facility that we bought, we bought out about that same time. Those three facilities we bought about the same time. Um, and that one we bought on hard money as well. Uh, went in there still doing projects on that one, actually fixing things up more, but we have the rent that, that one, when I went to the market, it was a, it's a dumpy little facility, about 90 units, need a lot of work though. It looked ugly, but the whole market is just hundred percent full. And that's still how that market is, uh, wanting to do more, more there. But I just knew we could get that. I was like, this is going to be killer. So bought it for like $630,000. And that one is just skyrocketing in rents, especially over the past like year. Uh, we just, I constantly have adopted this new um, ideal of pricing myself out of the market. A lot of people get yes. stuck on this. I even talked to a friend, a buddy of mine, and I'll share that one here in a second, which is actually pretty awesome. You actually met the, my my friend at the conference. There. Yes. So yeah. that's the friend I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so I... I started adopting this new pricing myself out of the market. Basically what I'm doing is every time a new unit comes on the market, it's a 10 by 20. I just raise it another 10 bucks for the street rate. I'm not always yep. attacking the customers. They get their regular rent increases, but I'm attacking the street market price that's out there for new tenants. And I just keep raising it 10, 10, 10, 10, you know? So this year I was, I brought my, like five by tens from like $64 a month in the beginning of the year, all the way up to 159. And I'm renting out at that. So this is a very proven. So I'm just constantly raising that. And I'm just trying to price myself out of the market. I'm trying to get to a point to where that unit will not rent anymore because the yes. area is so crazy. While I'm doing improvements, while I'm adding value to the tenants and things like that. But even if I don't do any more adding value or money into the property, I'm still getting those rents. I'm not the prettiest facility, but I'm still getting that because I'm, I'm trying to price myself out of the market. I see these other big facilities around. And they just, the rates are the same. It's like, but yep. we're all a hundred percent full. Why? Why? I, so I talked to, so going on that, I talked to my buddy and he, he has a facility down in Oregon. I was like, I was like, you're a hundred percent full. I was like, why aren't your street? Like, why aren't you charging street rates higher? So I'm like pushing him to do yes. it. I'm like, it's your business. Do what you feel comfortable with. But like, you know, you've got one ten by 20 full, you know, like available, like why don't you try it out? So I got him to raise it up to like 
120, 130. And then him and I talked more and I was like, dude, you, you raised it. I was like, you're at that. I was like, dude, raise it to 199 <laughs> yeah. because I know what I'm getting in my area. Yeah. I know, I know I'm hours ahead of, you know, north of you, yeah. but try it. So he, I was like, and let me know as soon as you get it. He rented it out in a week and he ended up having like three 10 by twenties within like a few weeks. And he just texted me the other day and he's like, dude, I've rented three at 199. He's like, I've got a 10 by 10 coming up. I'm going to raise it to 130. I'm like, yeah, man. You yep. ju- I was like, just test it out. I was like, even if you don't rent that unit for a year, like it's not going to affect your business at all. You're, you're not losing out on anything. I was like, just try it. I was like, I, you know, I try to do like a 30 day thing. If you can test it out for 30 days, if it's not moving, that means you're probably too high and then just bring it down. That's the worst thing that you can do. Exactly. Or do specials. If someone comes in, you're, you want to pay two. Okay. We'll move you in a dollar unit special and keep you at the high price. And so that, and that was a prime example of he, 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 I think he loved it. When we run the numbers on his pro forma, just in one night, I was like, you, you will increase the worth of your facility by like millions of dollars. If you yep. upped your pro forma, and that's what he did. And so he's adopting that. And so instead of his facility being worth three to 4 million on his pro forma, it'll actually be worth like 7 million once he gets those up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you looked at over the couple of years and he's adding more units there facilities were burned down in the area. So demand is huge there. So you just got to look at all these things anyways. No, I rambled this on a bit. so amazing. Oh, this is a good point. oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you got to hit on this point. We got to talk about it because a lot of people don't understand this, that, um, pricing doesn't equal demand. Okay. And it, it drives me bonkers that, that a lot of people don't understand this. They don't want to raise their prices right? But then they don't want new inventory coming in. They don't want any change at all. And it's this weird thing that operators can get into. And you don't know what that demand is and where it should be. And lots of times in small markets, they're so scared of it, it never rises. And we found in our markets that we were in, so we have a market where we own three facilities. We own the most facilities in that market. And we up we up prices way above the market and we just kept going up. And as we kept going up, finally, all the other facilities, they started going up and following us. Now, every time that we do a rate increase, the entire market, like, well, when I say entire market, I mean the vast majority of the operators there follow us within the week. They're literally just following our rates and they'll just up it every time that we do. So you end up showing people and saying, listen, this is where the market's really at. You guys don't even know where it's at. This is where it's at. And then everybody else says, oh, okay, that's where the market is. And then they follow you. And it's a crazy thing, but this happens all the time. People are just matching market and they're not matching demand. All they're doing is matching other people's prices, which prices have nothing to do with demand. It's such an important distinction. One of the things that I, I've noticed and I look into and people ask me, you know, like, how are you, you know, you're looking at rent increases. How are you deciding on rent increases that? He's like, are you, you know, is it, what is everyone else charging in the market? Da, da, da. And I go, dude, the only time you like legit, the only time you look at market prices really is when you first buy the facility that just yep. gives you a baseline. You've exactly. got to have a baseline, especially if you don't know the market, If you know the yes. market, you already have a baseline. Okay. And then you can always look at them and kind of see what other people are doing, but to base your rents off of what other people are doing. No, no, I would be screwed if I thought, okay, my facility is kind of, eh, it's run down a little bit more, but I based it off of theirs. I would be charging 160 for, you know, a, two, a 10 by 20 versus 269. And that's yeah. what I get. Like, so it's, you have to just go, you have to compete with yourself. 
And I yes. learned that from other people. I really liked when they talked about that. My first ISS conference, somebody had made mention, he's like, dude, we'll be higher than the rest of the market. You got to compete with yourself. Bingo. So I took that and that makes it a huge difference. You got to compete with yourself. Stop competing with other people. You know, yes. and that, that goes for other businesses too. They'll talk about that. Like if you're only focused on your competitor, you're not focusing on making yourself better. Like you got to focus a- on yourself. It's this idea like Apple has, right? Like they're like, we are going to kill our own products. Right. So when they announced like the smartphone and what they were doing there and the touchscreen, everything, they're like, you're or the tablet, excuse me. They're like, that's directly competing with your number one product, the MacBook. They're like, what are you doing? And if we don't make it irrelevant, somebody else will. You got to compete with yourself and you've got to have that forward momentum and you got to be testing the market. You got to see what your product market fit will take, what your customers want, what they're needing, and you got to adapt to that. And what you said earlier too, I also love, you cannot go or when you pricing really matters when you go into a market to understand it. I don't know what's going on. So I want to see where a top is and maybe a bottom is. Then I look at occupancy. I'm looking at utilization to try to understand demand. But after we go into that market, I don't, I'm not looking at other facilities to match prices that no longer matters, right? If I went into a market that, um, I'm already in, for example, why would I ever look at anybody except my own store and the relationship with the market that it has and knowing how I can change prices. And we change and do prices on an individual basis, not a um, product base. So if I have a product that's a 10 by 10, right? And I have 50 of those to give to the market. I don't price all of those the same because if I, let's use a hundred, for example, if I have a hundred and I have 99 that are vacant, that one is going to be really cheap because there's not a lot of demand, right? So it's like, no, I need to fill these up and there's vacancy in the market, but that 99 that are full and I have that one left over, well, that one left over would be double probably the price of all the other units because demand is so high. Somebody has to pay a premium to get that last one, right? And so we don't, we look at it individually based. And so when you go into a market, that doesn't make sense just to match pricing for us and this dynamic approach that you're talking about, Frazier, and how you work within your facility, maximizing that revenue, this is the biggest separator that I see amongst operators that are killing it. They're going and buying more. They create a model. They can see the value, the opportunity in new deals where other people miss it. They don't see it. All they're doing is looking at a market and they're looking at other competitors and they're just like, oh, I don't really know. It just kills you on the underwriting. Yeah, 100%. It's just kind of a, which is kind of how I bought our, the next facility that I bought. I closed on it about a week ago and I was competing with, there was probably at least seven offers and there was a couple of REITs that were involved and just them not understanding like what this facility can do and understanding the market allowed us to just only offer a hundred thousand over asking price and just take the deal away. And, um, and this and is my favorite story that I've heard probably this year. So <laughs> I, I have to preface this because I'm so excited for you to, to tell people about this story um, because this is just awesome. I absolutely love it. So you now are the high, high price on the, uh, on the offer. And when did you make this offer? So I made this offer back in, let's see, it was like I think it was April 15th is when we got under contract and mutual acceptance. So I was in contract for about six months. That's a whole nother reason as to why we were there. 
lending issues, things changing around in our partnership and how we were going to go about buying it and different things like that. So the, a lot of that changed, which made a lot of delays, uh, you know, put down some of the earnest money, make it go hard anyways, finally get to the closing and we have it now. <laughs> so. Okay. Now tell them what happened in that time frame, though, when you got it. Okay, so this six months. Um, so this was, this is probably by far the craziest purchase we've ever done as far as like value being increased over the time we've been in contract. One, the other facilities that we're doing really like mom and pop style run. So nothing's really going increasing. What you're getting in contract at is what you're buying in that end of story. You're going to do all the increasing yourself. Well, the property that we were buying was actually managed by a, a local, uh, by a REIT. Um, and they were managing another property they had in the same market. Anyways, so they were doing all their competitive things, which is rent increases, um, filling up occupancy and that sort of thing. And so that's what happened. So over this time, we got in contract with this property, $5.2 million at about a 6% cap rate. Over time, like I said, they were raising the rents um, on the tenants. And then they were also increasing their occupancy. They brought it from like 88% to about 96% when we closed. And that's, it sounds small, but when you have 360 units or so, you know, they're filling up like 30 to 40 units within that time frame. So that's actually quite a bit. That's a lot of revenue. So with those two things combined, when we got done with it, we actually end up closing the property when you ran what their NOI was at an 8.4% cap rate off of the purchase price. So when we, when we ran the numbers, if we were to today go just turn around and sell it at the revenue without doing a single thing, at a six percent, exactly what you bought. We can it get that in the market, then we would be able to sell it for seven point two plus million dollars. So we already had day one two million dollars equity at the same cap rate that we bought it at to sell it, <laughs> which is like, which was crazy because I wasn't tracking all of that until like the like a couple like a few days after closing when I looked at this again. I was like. Oh, you've got to be joking me. I was like, this is insane. And I was like, I knew it'd gone up, but I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't track my numbers yeah. again because we knew our deal was good. And you didn't know that. Well, yeah. And I was, I was watching things. I, I knew yeah. they were increasing their revenue. I was like, well, this is great. Um, but I didn't run cap rates again to see what the facility's worth until we closed. And that was, uh, it was huge. So in six months, now we've got $2 million of equity and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we're super solid. It is pretty awesome. Now. <laughs> now, now you take the 12 months, 12, do uh, own it for 12 months, do all your rate increases, come in, run it, do better marketing, everything like that. Then after 12 months, you have a 12 month look back and you can go refinance, pull all your money out plus more and then go buy two more from there. <laughs> It's just awesome. Exactly, exactly. When we get, yeah, it's it's insane. So I, I'm primary on this property. And so I've got other partners. And so that's exactly what we'll do is mm -hmm. we'll refinance them out, buy them out at their set price that we already have set for that, increase my equity, take money, go buy some more properties. Um, now, and do all that. At, oh, just rinse and repeat. Now, I want to dive into one of the things that I love most about what you're doing and your content and that's the operations side so tell me about um on these first deals the operation struggles that you had 
and then I want to talk about the, the the new deal and what you, what you're in the middle of now. But on these first deals that you took over, what were some of the hurdles that you were jumping over? Your learning curve that you would want other people to know, and examples of say this wasn't what I thought it would be operating it by myself, or this is how I would have done it. Right? Like, I want to hear more about that because that's really really important. Um, and I think you're the perfect person to kind of walk through that. Um, well, I'd say that first off, I thought um, like any other re- real estate investment would be a more passive, hands-off. This passive <laughs> notion has got to be uh, derailed a little bit. Yep, me too. <laughs> and it's got to be it's, it's got to be explained better. Yes. Uh, this whole passive thing, what passive really is, it doesn't mean no work. Um, and I, you know, you've mentioned it, other people have mentioned it that are involved in the space, but people don't get it. I had a comment on my TikTok, and they were just like, Oh, this is like really passive. Da, da, da. I was like, actually, no, I'm, this is what I do day to day. Like yeah. I'm involved. This. this is not passive. Yeah. Like they're like, this would be nice to have passive business. It's like, it's not passive. It takes work. You're either going to hire it out or you're doing it yourself, but you have to run it like a business on a day to day. Um, so that was, that was one thing that I knew it was going to take managing, but didn't realize how much of a day-to-day managing thing it really needed. Um, another thing was just realizing it takes a bit of time when everything is just paper, because I've taken over multiple facilities where they don't have software, all that stuff. They don't have anything up to date. It's going to take a chunk of time to just get things transitioned over, and it's painful. You When you have somebody call in and they have questions, now you can't just look them up in a computer. You've got to go through all the files. What, what was your unit number? 212. Okay. Or you don't remember? Okay. Now I've got to figure out your name. Okay. Let's, oh, uh, this is not alphabetical. This is, we just got to, I've got to search through every contract in these folders now to try to find this person to see where they're caught up on their rent. There's a whole process when you don't have a management software. And so click, click. It takes like, it takes like five seconds to look someone up if you have managed software. So just the time involved in that. If you don't have an electronic gate there, you can't lock people out. You've got to, now you've got to be there every day to open it manual or just leave the gate open all the time. That's a huge, you really have to have an electronic gate there. These places, some of these places didn't. So now you've got to figure out all of those. A lot of these things you can like solve beforehand, figure out, call your companies, call the contractors and things like that. And definitely want to have all that set up in place of, okay, who's going to be installing my gate day one, you know, and where, and all of those things. Um, trying to think of the other pain points that we come into. Um, a big, huge pain point that I came into was just locking people out. I'm like in the mindset of trying to automate and do all these yes. things, but I cannot figure out an automation system for locks forever. Mm-hmm. There's electronics lock out there, but they were way too expensive for my small facilities. Yep. Um, and it just, it just didn't make sense to outfit them in this existing facility. So I'm like, finally, I figured out I'm going to do coded locks that have, you know, the combinations that'll work for me. And then I found a company that actually does it a lot more efficiently. Um, and so that was the solution. And so fine, but that took me a long time. That's actually took me a few years to get there to, to a more automated system with it. And so who are you using right now? All these right now I use DaVinci locks. DaVinci so if locks? you haven't heard of okay. it, so DaVinci locks are coded locks. And that's what I was using before that I would buy off of Amazon, except they weren't DaVinci and they weren't connected into my system. And so I would lose the codes all on. Yeah. You know how many combination locks I've thrown away because you yeah. didn't write down the combination or record it correctly. And you're just like, well, I can't open this now. 
And so you just throw it away. So it's just wasted money. Um, DaVinci makes that process a lot easier. It's cost efficient and they cost about the same. I was paying like $10 a log and DaVinci was $13 a log. I was like, well, this is a no brainer because I'm not going to lose it. And so, and when you say it goes into your system or you can monitor it, explain that more. Are you talking about your property management system? Yeah. So right now I use Sightlink for my property management Mm -hmm. system. Um, and they were, DaVinci works with multiple different property management systems. So what happens is I'll put that lock on like a vacant unit. Um, and, and then when someone rents it, they will get that code for that lock texted to them as well as we'll send them the gate code or give it to them as well. So they have both those locks. So they can just move in any time during open hours of access. facility. I don't have to go to the facility and also locking that vacant unit allows um, people to not put their stuff in there, whether it's someone that's homeless or whether it's some person that decides they want to throw their trash in the unit. So it stops them from doing that. On the flip side too, when people get locked out, even if you have a manager on site, that's more time that you're wasting of your managers if they've got to go unlock a red lock. If you can put a coded lock on there, the Vinci lock, then the tenant can just remove it themselves. And if they don't replace it back in the Dropbox, you just charge them for it. 20, 50 bucks, something that's painful that they'll make them go, okay, I'm going to put it back in there. And they get the code text to them as, long, as soon as they make their payment too. So it automates everything a lot more. It's all attached to their um, tenant profile in there. So you know which lock is with it, which code is going out to them. And then you just, once they drop in the Dropbox, all you do is reset it or put onto another unit whenever you need to. Makes it very simple. It is, it's been a game changer for and automation wise. Are you doing that? So now you were doing that on some of your smaller facilities on the new bigger facility. Are you doing the same system? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, that's funny. You mentioned that though. I have five boxes of locks that just showed up or four boxes or whatever. I showed up at the facility today. Um, and so I'll go put them all into the system and then we'll start using those any get rid of you get rid of keys and everything because the thing is is you have an app so all i have to do is scan that lock because it's got a serial code on it or i type in the code into the the phone and the barcode or whatever and so i know exactly what the the combination for it is and you can give access to the manager and it speeds up the process so much more i never have to carry around keys i'm trying to eliminate keys from my facility even on the the door to enter into the office yes. i was like how do we put a key code in here because that saves me just even a few more seconds of going yep. instead of going these yes. old store things or on the gate there or whatever so the more i can eliminate keys one it makes it so much easier and faster but also two with management or people like that it's easier to go now i've got to retrieve keys from you if we have to part ways or something i can just change your code or delete your code done your access is gone so there's a lot of things that automate make it faster for you and those are all the things i think about as i'm planning ahead on when i do this or i need to do this so i can solve these issues and and try to think about it that way you know so we use uh noki because it was the same thing when we were looking at technologies we came in with noki and janice and we're like all right we're gonna start trying to do this because we wanted to go through the automation that keyless part and it was interesting some of the pushback we got they're like a lot of people are like oh yeah but older people don't like technology and we're like so you think that a little old lady is gonna want to take a big padlock that she's got keys have to get it in there and pop off this padlock like it's much easier to have her have just a fob on her keys that she puts up against it unlocks right or a phone and and i don't know what your experience was but we haven't found like a demographic that doesn't like it that it's not 
easy for them to use, that we can't work with them. And I view that everybody views it as an add-on. Of course you get randos, but I mean, for the 99%, as long as it's communicated correctly and as long as people are using it, even current tenants, they all appreciate, they like the move and it's viewed as a big value add to them. Has that been your experience? I don't know if the tenants viewed as much of a value add because it's more for like vacant. Well, I would say new tenants, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like I can just unlock the unit that way with the code. Cool. Yes. It, it gives them access. To it. And they know that they can utilize it for a little bit. If they're like, I want to move in right now, but I don't have my loan lock yet. Um, then they can just utilize it for a little bit. So that's really nice for them. Um, the same part too, I don't have a bunch of feedback from tenants, but I can imagine that they're a lot happier that they don't have to wait for me. 24 hours, 48 hours to go to the facility, to go remove off the lock. That's another mm-hmm. thing is like we give access from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Yeah. to the facility, but the manager or whatever not their hours time. are like 9 to 5, 9 yeah. to 5.30. But say somebody wants to pay at 7 o'clock at night with my call center that I provide, mm-hmm. but yet they can't get into their unit because they've got a red lock on it. So we're doing this weird 24 hour thing. Sorry, that's just the rule. It's like, well, that's stupid. I paid. So just let them in. You give them access to the gate, you give them access to the unit at the exact same time. Um, and so that should be the the mindset, whether a customer goes, Hey, thank you so much for that. That should be what you give to yes. the customers is the immediate access. And that's, that's what tenants want. They'll tell you that that's what they want. They'll tell me that. Um, and so I think they find it nice, but I haven't gotten a ton of feedback, but I, I know it's got to be you know, it, a, a benefit. And one of the things that I look for, well, you talked about the new customers coming in. One of the big things that I thought with this is I go, listen, after five o'clock when all the managers at all the facilities leave, right, I now monopolize that market. If I can rent, if people can come in, rent and use my, my you know, I'm the only player in town. So that increased I am now taking over this market segment that needs to come in after hours or try needs to rent a unit past operational hours. I own that market. Like I own it. You're like the you're like Walmart of self storage. Exactly. You have to come to me. Hey, right? up, we're going to be open 24 hours. Even the rest of you aren't. So we're going to get all the people that want to go shopping at two in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> and that are driving in from out of town. Exactly. Exactly. You're getting that. Yeah. So we're not quite on the 24-7. Are your facilities, any of them, 24-7? Yeah, but it really de- it depends, though, too. That depends on local laws. That depends on a lot of things. We, and generally speaking, most of our facilities, we like to have closed down at certain times so we can track if people are learning. We go after hours the or after what I, like you said, operational hours, right? So we may not have a manager on site, but it doesn't mean the facility is not open and people can't come in and use their units and everything else that may go till 12 right or something like that well that whole time it's open to tenants but it's not open to new sales and it's like well we should be open to new sales 24 7 like there should never be a time that somebody can't rent from my storage facility and everybody that's listening that says oh i do that but it's a reservation that's not what i'm talking about i'm not saying reserve and then get your lock and get access. I'm saying buy and have access at 11 o'clock at night. I'm that's what I'm talking about. It and my extended hours on that need to um, will probably need to improve. And we just kind of go with the demographics there. But I think for the most part in my areas, you can rent out even if it's midnight or whatever. 
they're not they're okay if they don't move into uh just having the ability to be rent to rent out 24 7 yes. most people are like yeah the idea of being able to move in at six o'clock the next morning if i want to do it that early i've noticed that most people even if they rent online after hours not really looking in to move in that night they're looking they're like i'll move in the next morning i have the rental taken care of so you got to have at least at least the 24 7 rental yes. ability they have to be able online. to secure their space and yes. a, a lot of people we find because yeah. for our reno facility we had a huge amount of people that would rent at our facility because they could get it they could secure their spot as they were trying to move from another place they weren't even there so they weren't going around looking at facilities. They just needed somewhere that they could rent because the next day they were going to be there with two moving vans or whatever it is. So I have to have a spot to go. And so they would rent it. And we had a lot of out-of-state renters, a lot. I mean, we were renting a ton to people that were coming in for Burning Man. So they were renting units and they were off who knows where, from right? Like around the world. Around the world. Yeah. And they were renting <laughs> from us. And we were the only place they gave that option. So I was like... Everybody that wants to rent for Burning Man that doesn't live there, we own that market. And we did. And it showed. Because after Burning Man, the facility was trashed. Like, so dust it's everywhere. Out of, dust <laughs> everywhere. That, that, that uh, desert plaid stuff they got there. Moon just, dust. Oh, we walked in. We're like, oh, my gosh. But we were happy to clean it up because uh, those people, too, they don't care about the price. Guess why? Because we're the only place they could rent from. So now that's changing fast, but in a lot of markets, that's still not available. And uh, well, and then we started to get into a, a seasonal pricing too. When you have events yes. like that or whatever, you yes. can start to dive into kind of our earlier conversation. You go into this seasonal pricing where you know there's higher demand. So you go, oh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, July our prices are even higher than our yep. other facility because you've got the seasonal thing, which you probably probably noticed. Yes, yeah. and. Two, another thing, when we get into rate increases and dynamic pricing, we also look at where they live. So if you live, if you're a renter from us and you live in Arkansas and we're in California, right? Well, maybe you th that your pricing will be different than other people, right? Because we, if you're in our three mile radius, it's easy for you to move out. But if you're not, it's not. So you can look at all these different factors um, when you're dealing with rate increases, because like I, 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 it comes to the static pricing, I say demand is not static. Meaning, let's say me and Connor need to rent a storage facility. Well, whatever, if we even if we're both renting a ten by twenty, maybe or a ten by ten, maybe I need to rent it just to put some Christmas stuff in. I'm trying to declutter, right? But Connor needs to rent it because he's moving and he literally doesn't have the the space anymore. Who is that worth more to, Connor? He's got to have it. He's like, I I don't got somewhere to put my belongings and everything else. I don't really care what the price is. Now, for me, that's not my point. I may really care about the price. So if me and him are both looking and one store is like, I have this, but it's at $200 a month, I may go, that's too much for me. I'll go and go farther away to get it. So Connor rents it and I go to somewhere that's $150. Does that mean that pricing was bad? No. It just meant that they were attracting a different customer with different demands and different needs. So you can tier those pricings out based upon needs. Like I say, we don't want the low price. We're not a low price place. We give convenience, we give service, and we charge premium prices. And I don't want all the tenants. I don't need to attract everybody, right? I only have 600 units, 
right? And I, I only need 600 people. So I'm going to find the people that would be like Connor in this situation who had a much higher demand and my units that are available, I will price accordingly for those people that need it. Because the person that has the cheap price that's 100% full, they don't get offer services to anybody. So the person that needs it and is willing to pay can't even access those services. That's where we don't want to be. Yeah, I want to add to that too. Uh, that was a, a mindset that I had with uh, my Kelso facility. Um, and I noticed that I was having a lot of issues just at that facility in the beginning. And it was just like, it was real rough. Very, it's kind of a little bit of a rough area anyways. I was having a lot of transient, uh, maybe a little break and stuff. Uh, and so I was just having those issues and I was like, how do I solve these issues? One, I've just got to, I want to keep on repairing the facility more. But two, if I get my up what i tried to make into my call my mini class a it's not a real class for all of you out there but it's to me <laughs> it is now <laughs> so i got my, my class a's um because that's that that's the mindset i'm trying to create and the, for this facility yes. and so i want to be really really high in the market one because i don't want to attract the people that are only price sensitive like yes. aj's talking about i want people that just need they the first off the demand's huge in that area so i can charge more but second I, I want people that are willing to pay more because people that tend to pay more, you're probably not going to have as many issues. How do I say that? Right? 100%. Um, no, that is right. That is so correct. some people that are only wanting to pay really, really cheap, it's sometimes you can they you can have more issues if that's their only focus because yep. I, I noticed that the trend. They try to extract store. more and they want the lowest price. It's, it's why they're there. It's the mentality, right? They're going, exactly. listen, I'm paying for cheap. I'm okay with that. Right. But then they want and get and expect and the, it naturally occurs more problems. We've seen that across and every facility. Yeah. So I was like, how do I decrease the problems? Well, I try to increase security and that sort of things, but also increasing my prices. That should that should decrease my problems. And guess what? That was 100 percent true. And so being jacked up there, being as high as the only read in my market and him, the read and I were just whoosh, way up here and the other facilities are here. That's fine. You guys can have all the ones that are more price sensitive and that's okay. I only have 91 units and the demand is crazy here. Yes. So I want to get the highest paying 91 people in Kelso Longview as possible that are okay with that, that I'm going to provide really good customer service to and ability to pay with an app and all these sorts of things. These other features that I have that other facilities don't and just give this to people higher pricing. And if you don't want to rent from me, that's okay. You can rent from someone else if they have space. But most likely they don't, so you've got to pay what I have, because you know. So that that's exactly it. That was the same approach I take. Um, that it helps decrease problems overall. If for anybody that has storage facilities that's listening, that can help decrease problems, 100%. increase your security, and increase your prices. Yeah, you don't want all customers, and um, that's something I think everybody needs to remember. And that's the problem with the occupancy. I'll take everybody, and for us, like we actively kick people out. Like somebody comes in and yells or swears or something like that at our uh, manager, right? Well, if that's the case, then we just automatically kick them out. It, we don't, there's no question. We don't need a treat. And we're very upfront about it. You don't get to treat our people like that. Get out. We don't, like, we're not going to sacrifice our business, our services, or anything else like that for people that are don't act appropriately, are rude, or that are trashing our business because we also have to protect our other tenants, right? And so it's right. not just about you, buddy. It's about the other tenants that we have here. 
You can't cause problems. You can't do things because that's taking away what they're paying for as well. And so it's really important that we approach it as this service that we're giving to you. You also affect the service because you're a tenant as, as the other people. And if you don't want to pay for it, that's fine. You can leave. But the other people that are, right, we have certain things that you need to follow and rules that you need to go by. And uh, I think that, first of all, it creates lower expenses. You have less delinquencies. You have a standard that everyone has to go by, right? You have less uh, problems. It's better for your personnel. It's better for your call centers. It makes it so it's an optimized, well-run business. And then, too, you're attracting higher revenue. It's really, really good way to go. Exactly. And also, the, the tenants are going to appreciate it more. Even if they aren't, you know, they're not looking at your streets, really, your existing tenants. Uh, but they'll notice if you start to have issues, they'll call you. Hey, there's tenants or issues. You don't want to be putting ten other problem tenants in there. Uh, as you want to be able to cut that out as much as possible. I think some, I think a lot of uh, things that I probably need to do even a little bit better at this is thinking backwards um, about who, what kind of uh, client or tenant are you actually trying to get in there yeah. and do the things that will attract that tenants versus occupancy. Like you said, that just, that's everything. Yep. Work backwards, think about what it is that you're trying to attract and put those things in place to attract those and you'll get them. Yep. We had the, uh... Uh, Jones experience, right? It was identifying our entire renter and going through with our own facilities. And this is how we created a lot of our operations policies and procedures was through the Jones experience. And what was the Jones experience? Like what using our services coming in, who are they? Right? Like who is Mr. Jones? Is Mr. Jones married? Does he have kids? What are they using the storage facility for? What do they expect? What are they wanting? And really, that's how we viewed it, right? And and it was, it, some people were like, yeah, yeah. It was like, it, not that it's either frou-frou or too much, but it was the idea that we're selling a product. So who's our customer, right? Like, who is this person? And what are the demographics associated with that? And the better you understand that, the better you get to marketing, the better you find those high paying ones, the better that you can look at another facility and say, you have the wrong tenants in this facility for what you should be offering. And you can do a value add, right? It's very key to this whole process. Now, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, um, I want to talk about uh, social media. You are like the absolute king of TikTok. It's crazy, man. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's just awesome. I love your videos. I love your education that you're doing it. People love it. You're killing it. Um, you know, I've not gotten into the TikTok world. I've always done long form content and kind of the name everything I did was all podcast, right? It was this podcast. This is where all the hundreds of thousands of people that listen to us and everything else, That's it's been kind of the driving force. And... I want to ask you, because for people that don't know, this stuff takes a huge amount of time. Um, this <laughs> stuff is a, uh, I, the first, I don't know, however few years is I was making content and everything. I, I employ multiple people to take care of it. I have multiple companies out that have to try to help me fix things and do things on the content we're putting out. Um, Connor spends just a ton of time on this podcast to try to make this thing work. And it's a huge amount of time. And guess what? It costs a lot of money. So as of this year, I will end the year spending 
probably, I think we looked at it, it was about a quarter of a million doing this stuff. Nope, that was my bill. I was looking at last week to try to figure it out. I don't make directly a lot of money doing this because I don't sell coaching things. I don't do that kind of stuff. I have a couple groups that people can join, but it's not like, I'm not out selling programs or anything. It's like, I, I don't make money doing it. I mean, like literally that's how much I lose. I don't make money doing this. Why did you start doing this? And why do you think anybody should get into this game and do, and how were you successful at it? I mean, anybody that knows you from your TikTok that's listening to this is probably wondering the same questions. Why do you do it? Is it worth it? And what is your plans with it? Uh, those are great questions. So why do I do it? One, I'll, I'll say, I'll give a little bit of credit out here to Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk. If you know who that is, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably follow his content. People that follow me probably listen to his content or have heard of him in some form. If you haven't go check him out. Uh, but he had mentioned, he's like, TikTok's huge. And I've been wanting to get more into social media, posting content. He's like, you're either creating content or you're documenting. And I was like, I'm creative, but like, it takes a lot of work to create content and it's a lot of time. Any of those people out there that putting comedic sketches or anything are probably spending a lot of time one, just on all their camera equipment and just all the angles and stuff. But it takes a lot of time to do that. Uh, so I thought, well, documenting is easy. That's like vlogging kind of, I was like, I'll just show what I'm doing. And I was like, no one's out there is posting self-storage content. Not really, not in the same way, I'm going to do it because this is what I'm doing is I'm only operating. I'm on the day-to-day -day boots on the ground yeah. right now. I don't always want to be here, but that's what <laughs> I'm doing right now. So I'll show what I'm doing. Yeah. And so that's what I started to do is at first I was just posting real estate and random videos that I try to make go viral and funny crap. So if you go too far back in my TikTok, you might find some embarrassing crap. Oh, I guess that, okay. I now have homework for today. Yes. I got it. <laughs> go, go, to, go to my right. Instagram, everybody. You're going to see some posts. <laughs> <laughs> whatever yes. whatever i thought i could i took it down about 50 videos that weren't focused on self-storage or real estate um but so then i just decided to start posting once i started focusing on a niche of um of tick of self-storage it just blew up from there people found interest um not everybody's always looking to buy self-storage, but some of the videos I post are controversial or they're just yeah. interesting about what tenants are storing in their units. You know, people are, is it drugs? I don't know. You know, I don't know if I could say that on the podcast. <laughs> Edit that out. No, you're good. <laughs> There's been worse. There's but been worse. Sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of random stuff. So people are just seeing everything. People are seeing my processes of buying properties, what I'm doing to them. Um, so I wanted to document uh, that one, I also want to build my own personal brand. So to your point of, should you do it? I don't think everyone should do it if you don't enjoy it and don't like it. But I think if you're wanting to grow a personal brand, you want to try to put yourself out there and have people actually know who the crap you are, then yeah, you should probably do social media and put in the time and effort to do it. Even if you're only doing once a month, if it's really like, that's all you can do, then do that. Like it's something. Um, so I want to grow my own personal brand. And so, and I knew nobody knew who I was, uh, except for my friends, but no one was going to know who I was unless I showed them. Like no one out there in the world knows who Fraser is until I show them videos. Um, and that's how I've actually had a lot of opportunities on podcasts. That's how I reconnected with AJ was through social media by being on that, being present. I connected with a lot of people, um, different people that are interested in partnering and, and growing self storage. So it actually was helping, it's helping grow my business too. Yeah. Um, 
in the short and long run, but one, I've had more opportunities to be in front of people more, uh, opportunities to make money with it. Um, so there's a lot of side things, but first and foremost, it goes to building my personal brand and showing people what I do. Um, it's also a personal resume for me. If I've got partners that want to invest with me um, and, and work with me on things, they literally could just go to my TikTok and I'm, I'm living proof of what I'm saying and what I do. So it really doesn't take much more yep. for me to go. This is what I do. Just go on my TikTok. And most people are like, wow, I really like your content. Wow. Okay. That's it. That's impressive what you're doing. Da, 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 da. Um, and so it makes it very easy. That, I don't remember what you're yeah, no, 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 that's <laughs> perfect. I mean, that's why I put so much money into um, the different avenues that we do and why it, it literally like people are always going out and doing like investor meet and greets and they have to, well, let's have a few meetings. And if I get comfortable with you and say, I don't, I don't need to do that. My investors know exactly who I am and we have lines of them trying to get in our deals and looking, we just send out communications and they invest. And the reason is, is because there, if you are interested and you want to know me, there's nothing you don't know about me. I mean, there's just not, I'm very open and transparent. I document everything I do content every single week. I tell all our secrets. Nobody has any misconceptions of our business model. I tell everybody exactly how we run, how we find, how we fund. So when people go to invest in me, they, they already know everything. Like I want, I need I, to know the particulars of the deal, but I know exactly your style. I know what you're doing, AJ. I've already seen the property because I hear it, or you've already spent a whole section talking on your podcast about underwriting. So I know ex all those things that go into it. So I get investors and then two, we get deals. I've partnered on multiple multi-million dollar deals um, through this, that people come and they have listened. They, they understand how we deal with partnerships. They trust the process. They don't have questions whether we're the real deal or not. They don't have questions whether we're going to get scammed or not. And one of the reasons is, is because I'm so public that if I do that once, I'm done. If I screw somebody over, it's over for me, right? And I'm okay with that. Like, I, I believe that I should be held to that, in fact. Um, and I think that's a reason. I think that there's almost a little more trust that goes into people that are that open because, you know, there's nothing I can really hide. And if I did, I wouldn't be so open. So I like that. And I like what you're doing about that. Now, what you said, it is not for everybody. Okay. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying everybody should go out and do it. I, I'm not like, it, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of work. I spend it too much. Um, but the point is, <laughs> that's kind of how we've grown in a lot of our business model to achieve our goals. And I think it's valuable for those things. And if you're trying to achieve those, but you did it also in a way that you adapted to a different platform, right? That nobody was really utilizing at the time, which was ingenious because you were able to grow with it and you have a whole new part. So what are the downsides to doing it? Those are all the things you mentioned, all the things we've talked <laughs> about here. Those are the upsides. Talk to me about the downsides. I'll, want, I'll say I'll say one downside is I don't involve my family, and this is a personal choice uh, on social media. You probably won't ever see them. Uh, you you'll never see them in any of my TikTok stuff. You won't see them on Instagram. Um, my Facebook's private, so you really have to dive in um, if you really try to find that stuff. One because there is a lot of hate comments yes. and everything that are very um, 
that I just blow off because you, you have to, um, but they can be really destructive and I would never want any of that stuff going back to my family. Um, that can be a hard balance. Um, so, you know, I want to show my family, I want to like have people involved, but I also don't care that other people are, are involved with my family. Um, and so I keep that, that private. So that's because my wife had uh, to go private. She had to, she had to go private because of all the, messages and things that she was getting and it was yeah and it got so you understand it your family it's it's things like why you'll never see gary v's family i kind of adopted some of that idea from him and i'm very er glad early on that i did and i decided not to show my kids i decided not to show my wife and involve her in it my wife wouldn't be as bad you know because she's an adult but i definitely don't want my kids i've seen you see a lot of social media creators out there which people are crazy and they just say super like terrible things about (laughs) their kids on screen it's like like a lot of these creators, they're providing really good content about their family and kids too. So I really enjoy their content. Um, so I just made the choice for myself not to, uh, one, I get a ton of people that are in support of me and like, like on my side with videos, but you get other people that tell you to go to hell and just yeah. like, you know, like you should die and things yes. like that. And it's just like the one, the one biggest thing is that you've got to understand which, um, None of these people know you, nobody, even all the people that are saying the good things and all the people that are saying bad things. None of them know me. No, nobody really knows who yes. I am except for the people in your close circle, the ones that you're truly talking to. Yeah. Nobody on social media knows you, yeah. even if they know you because they watch your content, they don't actually know you as a person. You know, no one's really seeing my personal yeah. life. They're just seeing me post stuff on business and whatnot. So that those, that's kind of more of like an advice thing out there. Just, yeah. you just, it's cool. Like, it's awesome when people compliment you. And it's like, <laughs> I just sit and laugh. Honestly, I just sit and laugh at like the crazy things people that say they're so hateful. Like I beatbox on my content. Half the people hate it. Half the people love it. it. I don't care because I'm doing it for me. So if you can get that in your mindset that you're posting for yourself, then, yeah. then it doesn't really matter. Like yeah. you, you were beat, beatboxing when we were sitting around campfires back when you were little, right? I mean, that's just who you are yes, and you exactly. embrace it. And I love it. That you embrace because I enjoy more. doing it. I know I'm not the, the, the highest paid pro beatboxer out there. <laughs> yeah. I also know I'm not like crap, but I just do it for myself. Like it, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like I also like, I'm not the wealthiest self storage investor out there. But as far as social media goes, I'm one of the big, like, it just doesn't matter, like, yeah. what you are and what you're not. It's just, what are you trying to do with what your content? To Stick it? to that. <laughs> There's going to be craziness no matter what. Uh, but a lot of, you know, hopefully it's it's more uh, positive than negative. And that's been my experience that yeah. I hold on more positive in my life, period. And so that just turns in with social media. It's more positive for me than negative. So Well, and, and two, um, you got it, like... For me, I think that was a reason why um, I stayed kind of off Twitter. Um, I got on Twitter and I was, I I liked Twitter because I could write out a bunch of my things, stuff we were doing. And like, even on there, I I made a post where I was like, hey, everybody, you know, this is so awesome. Look what's happening in this. We're so lucky to live in such a great country, everything like that. And all of a sudden I had all these people calling me a white supremacist. I have no idea why. I literally was like, I just said we, li- said we live in a great country. Have a great day and go out there and kill it. Like, and all of a sudden people were attacking me. I'm like, whoa, this is out of control. So I literally, I kind of backed off. I'm like, this is not the platform I want to be on. And um, so Instagram, I don't know why I haven't had those kind of 
problems. We haven't really had that on YouTube, have we? No. Yeah, nothing no, like that on YouTube. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll TikTok was interesting too, which I, I need to get uh, better on. But even on TikTok, I made a, a video um, about non-recourse loans. Did you see that video I made? It was just like this short little thing on how you yeah, can refinance and you don't have any risk, right? Holy cow. Everybody's I, like, awesome. you're a Ponzi scheme. I'm reporting oh, you to dude. the SEC. Yeah. Everybody's just like, we're crazy. And I'm like, what in the world? So I agree. Those are the downsides and you kind of got to, it, it comes with the territory, but net positive has been overwhelming. I think everybody loves this podcast. Now, at the end of the day, I like the podcast because we get to have really long conversations about you, what you're doing. People get to hear about you. They get to learn about you. And I think that value that what you're doing on social media and what we're trying to achieve here is so important. When we got started, when I started doing some of this content stuff, it was really almost like a kind of like a middle finger to the people that were selling $100,000 coaching programs. Um, I hated that. And you know my personal beef with this. Yep. And so it was literally like, we're just going to give all this information and we're going to give it all out for free. And I thought that is one of the best things we could do to the industry because I believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. We need good operators, better yeah. operators. We'll get higher prices, better qualities. Communities will like us, right? I'm not in a competition. I'm trying to make the industry better. It's why I'm part of the co-op. It's why I'm involved in technology, right? Like my industry needs to be successful in order for me to be successful. And I think that's a net positive thing to be out here doing. I think it's a net positive thing to try to be doing. And the people... Like, I mean, you know, when you get started, there's just so much you don't know. It's right. crazy. And and I every time I think back, like, I, I tell people, I remember we had some small facilities, but the first big facility we bought, it was in Pasco. <laughs> like, that was our first real big one. And it was okay. $3.5 million, right? Pasco, Washington, right? That's correct, yeah. And okay. I was shaking in my boots when we got it done. I was kind of a nervous wreck because I'm like, what if I'm stupid? What if I screwed this up? And the reason I was nervous about it and was just because there was so much I didn't know, right? Like if there would have been outlets, there was no social media. There was no, and there was no Frasers out saying, hey, this is what you do. This would, And I could see you doing it and knew that it would be okay. There was no podcasts. There was basically no books. The only ones that were out there were really crap, right? And so- it was me going in and it, that would have helped me out so much getting started. So I think what you're doing is awesome. I want you to continue doing it, continue killing it. Everybody go follow Frazier um, on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, he's posting his videos up on Instagram too. You can see all the day to day and YouTube. That's right. Thank you. YouTube. I grow on YouTube too. That's right. Um, I, I, I want to jump in there yeah, real fast. Go for it. I, I know you're kind of closing up here. No, you're good. Um, I'd say a good phrase to remember as, as AJ's talking about posting content for free. And that's what I do too is, uh, there's enough for everyone. If you get in this abundance mindset and just remember that there's enough for everyone, it's not like, oh, I have one deal and holding on to it. You'll probably grow more just by giving that away. And two, I love sharing information. And so if anybody has any questions at all, I don't think I know everything, but I think I know enough to, and I'm smart in business um, with what I've done so far that I'm happy to share. If you want to DM me and you go, how do I do this, 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 and this, the exact, all the processes and everything that I need to run it the way that you do, because I like that or whatever. I'll tell you all. I'll tell you the, yep. the, 
the operations, I'll tell you all the technology, everything that I use, because I don't care. It doesn't like affect, yeah. it doesn't like hurt me. It's like, it's fun for me actually. Yes. And then the, the other two, um, I was going to say something else with, I, I'd say like, if you want to do uh, social media, like do it. Uh, Cause I think there's a yeah. lot of positive. I, I've had a lot of fun with it. And my, my thing, my belief with social media is that every single person has a following out there. There's literally over yeah. 7 billion people. I think that every single person has a following. It's just a matter of attracting and finding yes. your following. So far, my following is over 400,000 people and AJ's is over 500,000 people or whatever. That's our following so far. And I think there's more out there. Um, but I think every single person, even if it's only 10 people or whatever, I think every single person, you're quirky, you're niche, you're weird, you're positive, you're negative, whatever, you have a following out there. So if you're really wanting to get into social media, just just do it. Yes. Your, your following will come. They'll so find anyways, you. I couldn't agree more. Two. I yeah. couldn't agree more. Well, hey, man, where should everybody go? We talked about here. Give everybody where they should go to find you everything. We're going to put this all in the so, show notes, too, so you guys can. Awesome. So Fraser Robison on TikTok, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R-R-O-B-I-S-O-N. That's how you spell my first and last name. So Fraser Robison on TikTok. I think it's Fraser underscore Robison on Instagram. And I think it's just Fraser Robison on YouTube. Try to keep it real simple and brand it all the same. Uh, if you type in Fraser, like I'm one of the only ones out there, like you're going to find all my stuff easily. TikTok's the easiest because I'm the biggest on there. That's where I post the most um, and growing the other channels and whatnot. But that's kind of where I am right now. And, um, and LinkedIn you can connect with me there, but I'm not on it as much. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be. Though. Yeah, me too. I, I struggle with LinkedIn as well. I mean, that's one thing we didn't even bring up, uh, but you know, um, I, I want to say to everybody go out and support him. So when you're on there, like his videos, like his comments, um, subscribe to his stuff. That's guys. That's how you support us this podcast, please like it, share it. Right. That's how you support us. That kind of tells us people like it. And the, as it grew, like even with the YouTube, everything else, me and Connor are like, Oh, we need to do more of this. Um, we had our other podcast that we were doing, which has become more of my just personal pet project where I talk about things like the economy and things that I want to talk about. Right. But with this one, we were, it was growing so fast. Me and Connor are like, Whoa, we had so many people rating it. So many people liking it. Me and Connor are like, we really need to dive deep into this. We need to put a lot of effort into it. So the more you guys support, right, the more content we put out and that's the same for Frazier. So get out there and do it right on, man. Well, Hey, thanks. We'll have you again to hear about the next property that you buy and it increases in millions of value before you even close. We're excited <laughs> yeah. for you. Keep killing it, man. Yeah. Frazier, good to I see you. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks for coming out.